All right. Well, James is where we're going to be, okay? James chapter 4 tonight. James chapter number 4. And as we come back to this book together, as we've been studying for some time on Wednesday evenings, keep in mind, as we come back to it, that James is writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered from their home. And they've uh, been scattered largely because of the persecution that's taken place, which many have, uh, have, have noticed that it would probably be the first wave of persecution against the early church. But persecution nonetheless from the political leaders and religious leaders of the day. And, uh, but that persecution has left these Jewish believers uh, quite confused. They have left them hurting, struggling, and suffering. And they need some help. And so the Lord's going to use Pastor James to do just that, to help these dear believers as he sits down to write to them, to instruct them and encourage them through this difficult time of church history with this wonderful book of the Bible that bears the writer's name, and that is James, all right? So keep all that in mind as we look at the book of James together and as you study it for yourself. But as we come back to James... And we come back especially to James chapter 4. Uh, remember last time when we came to this chapter, we took note of the fact that James, well, he just begins to be quite blunt with these believers. He just begins to be um, quite honest with them, open with them, not in a rude way or a brash way, but just a truthful way. But he begins to tell them and warn them and, and talk about their warring and fightings that was among them. You see, it would seem that these believers had a lot of strife in their life. It would seem that there was, they were combative one toward another. There was fighting going on in the churches and among these believers. And he knew that. He knew that it was going on. And he also knew, though, that if the fighting continued, it could cause and would cause some grave consequences with the individuals and with the church body as a whole. So James gives them this instruction. We saw it last time, just a way of remembrance though. As he says this in verse number 6 and 7, but he says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resist the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. So in this text, James tells them they need, if they want to stop all this fussing and fighting and going, carrying on and going on, that he tells them they need to be humble. They need to humble themselves, they need to submit themselves, they need to place themselves under the authority of another. But the authority that he makes plain that we as believers, in, and in particular in his context, these Jewish scattered believers, who they need to place themselves under and submit to was the authority of God himself. And listen, we still must submit ourselves to God. We must willingly put ourselves under the authority of the Lord and under the authority of the Word of God. We should submit to God. Thank you, thank you. I got two. All right, awesome, all right. Yes, we should. And I believe every, every Christian would agree to that. Every believer should and would say amen to that. And though we would say it with our lips, though, I'm going to ask you again, can it be seen with your life? And I get it. Look, I've asked, I've asked that question before, and I've asked myself, and even asked it again to myself today. And it, listen, it stomps all over my feet, too. 
We say it with our lips, but can it be seen from our very, very lives? We must be submitted to God. But listen, if you're here this evening, you're not. You've not placed yourself under the authority of God and His Word. And I want to tell you, as Pastor James told these individuals here, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. So James, when you come to James 4, he's just laying it all out, out there. and He's continuing to write to these scattered believers. And, and in the context as, of James 4 here, and especially in verse number 1, as he lays out that context, with wars and fightings, James begins to continue his writing, especially in verse number 7, and I'm not going to get past that verse today, but he continues this writing and lets it be known clearly who the real instigator is behind the wars and fightings among them. He lets it be clearly known who is the real enemy behind all of this, and it's none other than the devil himself. So let's get back to our text and let's look at it. And we'll start in verse number 1 and we'll read down through verse number 7, okay? But the Bible says in James 4, verse number 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. The adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace? Wherefore he saith, God resist the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. And then he goes on to say this Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Our Father, as we consider this subject and this individual specifically, I pray, Lord, as you taught us to pray in the Word, to keep us from the evil one. And help us be reminded who that really is. That it's not our brother and sister in Christ. It's not a fellow believer. No, the real enemy is the devil himself. I pray it help us to have that reminder today, clear reminder today. Help us not forget it. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. So folks, this evening, be reminded of this, that the devil is the real enemy. And in context of what's going on here with James as he writes to these dear believers, the devil is the one that's behind the strife. He's the one that's really behind all the fusses and all the fights and all the warring it's the devil that's behind it all. He is the real enemy, not the fellow brother or sister in Christ. So briefly this evening and quickly, let's be reminded, simply reminded once again, that our real enemy is the devil. And as we consider this, there may be some who wonder, why would it be important to know that? <laughs> or why would it be important to be reminded of that? I've known that for years. Well, we, we've... Maybe so. Maybe you have known that for years. I've known it for years, but I don't always apply it in each and every situation when it comes to these difficulties and warring and fussing and fightings of life, you see. Uh, in, those, in those moments, it's easier to point the finger at an individual than it is at the real enemy, you know. And so that's why it's good to have a healthy reminder from time to time, even on a Wednesday evening, of who our real enemy is. 
real enemy is. So that's why we need to know. We just need to simply be reminded. Besides, when it comes to knowing who our real enemy is, understand God does not put a premium on ignorance. Okay, He doesn't do that. You see, being ignorant of the enemy does not make the enemy go away. There are some folks who wish if they ignore the situation, the situation will go away. It ain't happening. That's not how it works. Okay? So you can't just ignore him and hope he goes away. There are too many good people who have fallen, fallen victim to the adversary simply because they were trying to be ignorant or just hoping he would go away. But Paul made it plain one day when he was writing to the Corinthians. He says, listen, we're not ignorant of his devices. We know how he works. We know that he is real. We just cannot just hope he goes away if we ignore him. That's not how it works. He would love for us to ignore him, though. He would love for us to be ignorant of him, but we cannot and we must not be uninformed about our adversary. We must have a working knowledge of some sort about him. Besides, this is the most basic matter in in warfare today, you see, when you, when you sit down to conduct a military strategy, the failure to estimate the strength and even the ability of the enemy would be an absolute tragic mistake on our behalf. Even when a boxer goes into a match, he's already, before that match even begins, he has already had hours and hours and days and days of watching film on his opponent. Why? So he knows his opponent's strengths. And he knows his opponent's weaknesses in order for him to attack and counterattack. He studies and knows who his opponent is. And for us as believers, do not consider our opponent will be just plain foolish on our behalf. So God has given us a Bible. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Amen. Me too. And God has told us in the Word of God everything we need to know when it comes to our enemy. And we honestly are without excuse when it comes to knowing about him. So we must be aware and we must know. But I fear that too many people do not take that knowledge, or at least being aware of him, they do not take it serious. And sometimes we can become too flippant when it comes to the understanding, or not really understanding, but at least the uh, awareness that our enemy is the devil. And believe it or not, there are even folks today who would say, even professing Christians, who would dare say they do not believe there is a real personal devil, just only some kind of evil influence in the world. For one, that makes zero sense. Who do you think is behind the evil influence in the world? Hello. But anyway. But still, people would say that today. Others would say that he's not a real personal devil. Uh, some would say he doesn't exist. Some would say he's only a mythical character in a red suit with horns carrying around a pitchfork. And uh, they say that he's been made up only to help people be good. Come on now. That's crazy talk to me. That's, that's insane that people will come up with this, again, just on purpose trying to be ignorant of the fact that there is a real enemy and there is a real devil. But that's what he would want. Our enemy, the devil, would want that. He would want people thinking he doesn't exist and that he is harmless and that he isn't real. He's only a myth. He would want that. But I'm here to tell you that he is real. And we must be aware. Be aware and understand that it is the devil. He, the, he is the real enemy behind all of this. And we need a working knowledge of this enemy. But again, that knowledge does not need to go outside the bounds 
in the fence line of Scripture. As, as Paul said to the Romans in Romans 16, 19, I would have you wise in that which is good and simple concerning evil. So we don't need to divulge in any other writings or any other books outside of the Scriptures no more about this enemy. God's given us everything we didn't know, but we need to know what the Bible has to say, and we must be aware. All right, so this evening, quickly, take note of this. When it comes to knowing that is the devil behind these things, it's the devil behind the wars and fightings among you, as, as James said. Number one, take note of this, his character. Talking about the devil, all right? Know his character. Now, if you have ever played any organized sports in school, uh, football, who here played football in school? Yeah, me too. Uh, baseball, softball, all right, a couple. Uh, basketball, I was vertically challenged, couldn't do it. Uh, wrestled, anybody? Um, what am I missing? There, there's a bunch of others, I know. Cheerleading, is that a sport? I don't know. But anyway, so... <laughs> Somebody said, yeah, that's a sport, you know, but anyway, no, uh, but, uh, but we, had, we had sports in school, and we all played them and enjoyed those during, during school, but when it came to game day, for us at least, we were always given our jersey or uniform, but mainly for us in football, given our jersey to wear, and depending on your school, you would have different colored jerseys or different colors on that jersey. For me, I went to East High School. Don't hold that against me. But I went to East, and we were green, white, and sometimes we had black in our jerseys, all right? But uh, we had different colors from different, uh, in our school, from other schools. Because when it came to game time and facing the opponent, it was never a good idea to wear the same color jersey as the opposing team. Why? Because when you're on the ball field, you need to know who was on your team and who was on the opponent's team. And you especially need to know that when you had to make some quick decisions to identify your teammate when it comes to uh, uh, passing the ball or whatever it may be. You needed to know quickly who was on your team to make a quick decision. You needed to know who was on your side and who was against you. Well, the same goes for our spiritual battles as well. And when we face them, we need to know who, who is on our team. We need to be able to properly and quickly identify who is not, meaning who is our enemy. And one way to identify our enemy is to know what he is not. All right, so the Bible says this. This is what it's not. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12, For we, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And though this word wrestle there in that text in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, that word wrestle would suggest a very uh, personal, uh, hand-to-hand, one-on-one type of match, a hand-to-hand type of combat type of thing. Uh, but this hand-to-hand and close, uh, close combat, that wrestling is not with a human opponent. No, no, no. It's with a real enemy that's not a human being. It's with a real enemy, but not flesh and blood. It's with a real enemy, and that is the devil. Yet if we're not careful when we face strife in life, we will attack the individual who may be being used of the real enemy that's causing that strife. And again, I think sometimes it's easier to attack the individual that's um, uh, doing or maybe being used to cause that strife because we meet that individual on the same terms. We meet the individual on the same ground, if you will, if I can say it that way. You see, as a human opponent, he has the same strength we may have. 
He may have the same mind as we have, the same devices to use as we have to use. He can have the same type of wisdom as ours, meaning, meaning he could figure out what we would do and vice versa based on what he would do, right? Uh, so we have the same kind of thinking, same kind of uh, process of, uh, of logic. And so we can be prepared to meet an adversary of the flesh and blood because, well, it's easier because we're flesh and blood. But that's not, again, that's not the real adversary. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It goes far beyond, far beyond that. We need to understand, though the attacks can come our way, though they can be physical and can come against us through people and even circumstances, physical people, physical circumstances, uh, people can lie, they can cheat, they can persecute, they can hurt, all of that. Though we know they can come that way, we need to understand these people and the circumstances are only symptoms of the real hostility that lurks in the shadows that comes from the devil himself. See, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 2, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So understand when it comes to Knowing your opponent and their character, understand this, it's not flesh and blood. It is not with people. Now, just quickly on a side note, though, I want you to know that the real enemy, the devil, he loves it when we do go after flesh and blood. He loves it when we do fight each other instead of putting our combined effort into fighting him and standing against him, you see. And he would love for that to happen. And again, division is one of his tactics that he's used down through the centuries, and he's used it very well. But don't allow him to use that tactic against you or against us. Our fight, just be reminded, is not with flesh and blood. We are fighting in a different arena. You see, it's spiritual. So understand our enemy is not flesh and blood. Rather, it is spiritual, and it is against the devil. Now, I'm going to read some uh, portion of Scripture and uh, here in a moment, and I'm also going to uh, list off really some names of the devil. I don't have time to look at them in detail this evening, but I'm going to list off their names and the, the, the reference in the Bible that has that name in it. But just understand, when you list names and you see names in Scripture, they're there for a reason because they identify the individual and their character. It, it shows who they are, right? shows who they are. Do you, do you, know, the, the, you know the name Jesus, right? You, Yes, most of you. Okay, do you know what it means? He is, starts with the S, ends the salvation. Salvation. Lord saves, Lord is salvation. Okay, that's who he is, right? That's what he does. It's his character. He saves. That's Jesus. So when you look at these names about the devil, it describes who he is. I want you to know it's horrendous, the description the Bible gives about our real enemy. All right, but notice the first one. The first one's in our text, okay? Look at our text again, James chapter 4 and verse number 7, and uh, it'll be that second sentence in verse number 7. It says this. After, when I stop, won't you say the next word, all right? Resist the devil, and he will flee, will flee from you. So he's called the devil. Now, what does the word devil mean? Well, it means this. It means slanderer, one who slanders. It's someone who utters a false charge or misrepresentation which would defame or damage another's reputation. Mm. That's what he is. 
And therefore, that's what he does, you see. He slanders others. But who does he slander? He slanders us. But who does he slander us to? Well, he doesn't slander us to his little minions and demons that follow him around. That's not who he slanders us to. I believe we get a glimpse of who he slanders, who he mis- misinterprets, who, he, uh, who, who basically defames the character of, meaning, meaning you. But who does he do that to? I believe he does it to God. You will get a glimpse of that in the book of Job. Let me read these verses to you quickly. In Job chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, about his house, about all he has on every side? And thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance has increased in the land. Put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse to thy face. Listen, at this moment, the devil was saying to God, really slandering Job at the same time, he was saying, you know, Job only serves you, Lord, because, well, you bless him with all this stuff. That's the only reason. He don't serve you because he loves you. He just serves you because you've blessed him. That's all. But I tell you what, you take away everything he has, I guarantee you he'll curse you to your face. <laughs> He's a slanderer. But of course we know, as we read on in the book of Job, the Satan that he was wrong. Of course he is. He's wrong. That's what the devil is. He's a slanderer. Therefore, that's what he does. Again, he's accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10. That's what he's called. And though he may slander you and slander me and accuse you and accuse me, understand all that comes from this place. You ready? John 6, 44. Jesus talking about the devil. He says this. When he, that's the devil, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Understand the devil is a liar and he is the father of lies. He started out at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden and he's still doing it today. He is a liar. So if he lied to the first woman and the first man ever, don't you think he's going to lie to you and me as well? Do like this. Okay, yes. He is going to lie. Why? That's who he is. Therefore, that's what he does. He's a liar. He's a slanderer. He's a liar. But what else is he? Well, let me list these to you because we're running out of time quickly. The Bible says this, that he is uh, Abaddon. Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. What does that mean? He is destruction. He is destruction. That's what he does. He destroys. He is the accuser. We've already talked about that. But again, in Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10, he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the adversary, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. What does that mean? He is our opponent in combat. He's Apollyon, Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. Again, that talks about how he is destructive. He is destruction. He is the Antichrist, 1 John 2, 18. Of course, several other verses of Scripture. What does that mean? That means he is the adversary of the Messiah, one who goes against Christ. He is the very opposite of Jesus Christ. 
He is Beelzebub, Matthew 12, 24, meaning he's the dung God, the Lord of the house, the Lord of flies, the Lord of filth. That's what he is. Therefore, it's what he does. All the filth you see in this world, where'd it come from? The Lord of filth. He is Belial, 2 Corinthians 6, 15, which is a wickedness, a wicked worthlessness. He's destroyer, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. He's the dragon, Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 2. He is the enemy in Matthew 13, 39. He is the father of lies, again, John 8, 44, meaning he's the inventor or founder of lies. It's from him. He is a murderer, John 8, 44. He's the old serpent in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 9, meaning he's the original sneaky snake from the beginning who caused all of the wickedness. He is the power of darkness, Colossians 1.13. Prince of this world, John 14.30. Prince of the devils, Matthew 12.24. Prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. He is Satan, Revelation 20 and verse number 2. He is the serpent, Genesis 3 verse 4, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. He is a spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, Ephesians 2 and verse 2. He is the tempter, Matthew 4 and verse number 1, and Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 5, meaning he is the one who tests and tries one's faith, virtue, or character by some sort of enticement to sin. That's what he is. Therefore, it's what he does. He is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He is the wicked one, Matthew 13, 19, and Matthew 13, 38. The wicked one, meaning the hurtful one, the derelict, the vicious, mischievous, malicious one. That's what he is. That's what he does. Listen, there's a bunch of other titles we could look at of names of our enemy that all reveal his character and really about how horrendous the devil truly is. But just know this is our enemy in a nutshell. You know, sometimes we face individuals who may have hurt us. And you'll say, man, they were really deceiving. Well, they may have been. But you know where that came from, the deceiver. You say, man, I, I was dealing with this individual, but could not they have lied to me? Well, probably so, but where did that actually come from? The father of lies. You see, the real enemy is not flesh and blood. No, no, no. It is the devil. Now, not only is the real enemy the devil, we have some other ones too. And quickly, I want to see those, all right? There's a list of enemies that uh, uh, Lucifer himself, when he was cast out, he took a little bit of a following with him. And the Bible says in Jude, verse number 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. In Revelation chapter 12, verse number 4, And his tail drew, talking about the dragon, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Many scholars believe that the devil took one-third of the angels with him when he was cast out of heaven. You say, Pastor, would you please explain that? Yes, okay. That's my explanation, all right? I believe it, therefore let's go, okay? But anyway, sometimes it's kind of hard to explain, okay? God's going to teach us all when we get to heaven one day. But, but regardless, there is a following that the devil 
the devil has, these fallen angels that, that do his bidding since he is their commander. He is the prince of the devil, as, as, Je- as Jesus said. He, so the devil is their, their, their leader, their ruler. And so just as God has an order of angels in heaven, you know, the archangels, the cherubim, the seraphim, and so forth, Satan has an order as well. And we get that order from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12 when he lists these individuals that are part of his uh, entourage. Number one, he says this, the principalities. Now who are these? Well, these would seem to be the head honchos, if you will, in the army of Satan. Uh, there are some sort of spirit princes that share in the power that the devil has over the fallen angels and, of course, over all evil. So these could be, these could be a higher-ranking governing authority type of thing that's under Satan's control. And you get a little bit of a glimpse of that from portions of Scripture, such as from the book of Daniel, especially in chapter 10, where it speaks of the prince of Grecia and the prince of Persia. You see, in Daniel chapter 10, where the prince of Persia was powerful enough to hinder a messenger, hinder an angel that, uh, that had a message for Daniel till Michael the archangel came and helped that angel. All right, So it could be that the prince of Persia and Grecia could have been a principality, pun intended. Okay, anyway. But it could be, all right, principalities. And then you have powers. And this is where this word here is where you get the, those who delegate authority. Now, need to understand something. The devil, though he is a very powerful foe, he is not all powerful like our almighty God. All right? Please understand that. He is not all powerful like our God, who is omnipotent. The devil is not all knowing like our God, who is omniscient. The devil is not everywhere present like our God, who is omnipresent. All right? Therefore, the devil has to compensate for his lack of power and knowledge and presence. But how does he do that? Through these individuals, these powers that the Bible says are powers. And these powers operate in the authority given to them by, by the devil. Again, to gather information, influence events, implement Satan's schemes, inflict, inflict pain, suffering of some kind, and all this and that. This, this is powers. Then he says this, rulers of darkness. Uh, this word here is a compound word in the Greek. I found it interesting that it means world Rulers. And so Satan has world rulers of darkness. And when you think of world rulers, especially in the realm of under influence of darkness, which ones come to mind? You say, there's several. Yeah, I'm sure. But for me, I think of Hitler. You know, it's quite dark. A world ruler. An individual who just through his very, just his oratory, just, just speaking, he basically caused the deaths of some, some 35 million human lives in World War II. But how in the world could that even happen? Well, through deception and through darkness. and It's just it's, 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 it's hard to fathom of all that's going on. But it's the job of these dark world rulers to keep people deceived and spiritual, religious, political, social Blindness type of thing. After all, it's what Satan does in this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. That's it's hard to fathom. But he says this, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now these are wicked spirits. These are demons. And there's a host of them. 
Remember the maniac of Gadara. He was in bondage to a legion of devils. You can read that in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 17. But a legion was around some 6,000. I can't imagine. A man being possessed with one demon, let alone 6,000, yet the maniac of Gadara had a legion. Listen, Satan has countless hordes of demons at his disposal and every one of them are evil and they want to stop the work of God in your life and in this world, but don't let them. Don't let them. Instead, do this, Ephesians 6, verse number 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And I believe that's what James is getting at. We'll see more of this when we get back together next Wednesday, but... When he goes on to say in verse number 8 to draw nigh to God. Because once you start actually thinking about your adversary, your, your enemy, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. When you start thinking about him, man, you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. But here's how you can. Verse number 8, draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. He begins to point them to the very one that can help them through resisting the devil, the very one that can help him through and overcome the wars and fighting among them. He points them to, to the Lord. And so this evening, though we pointed out our enemy is the devil, and we pointed out a lot of the horrendous things that he is, and therefore that's what he does, it can be a little overwhelming. But please know he is not more powerful than your God. He is not more powerful than the Lord Jesus Christ. No greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And besides, it's the Lord that has given us the victory. As the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always calls us to triumph in Christ. Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jesus is more. Always remember that. And never forget it. But at the same time, be reminded, we do have an enemy, and it is the devil. Just be aware. Be aware. Draw close to the Lord. He will draw closer.